Today's scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when he rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for whom for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring him word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and mirth. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. God's word to us. Uh, pardon me when I, while I put on my mic. Everyone hear me fine? Ooh, that was a bit loud. <laughs> Is this okay? Great. Well, good to be with you again. <laughs> Changed, dry. Uh, let me pray for us, and then let's look at God's Word together. Let's all pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Word that was read. We thank you that you have kept your promise to bring your Son uh, to save us from our sins. Father, we pray that as we come around your Word, we ask that you will help us to know you, help us to put our faith in you, help us to be hearers and doers of your Word. We pray for your Spirit to work powerfully in our hearts, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have two young boys, uh, Zachary and Ian, you know, eight and five, and they love Christmas. But I'm not sure if they love Christmas for the right reasons. <laughs> well, at least not always. You know, they, they love seeing the presents uh, collect and pile up under the Christmas tree. 
You know, as the weeks approaching Christmas draw nearer and nearer, they, they eagerly and excitedly look at that ever-growing pile of presents. And, and they keep asking us, you know, when, when can we open them? When, when can we open them? Is it okay if I open this one first? You know, is it all right? So they keep asking. And, and finally, Christmas morning arrives. Right? Christmas Day finally is here. It's the morning. One of the first things we do as a family is to open gifts. So excitedly, everyone comes around the tree. You know, we're tearing presents open. And the boys are just overjoyed when they see their presents, you know, new toys, new stuff. And then within half an hour, you know, those new presents are kind of left aside. And they're playing the wrapping you know, or, or doing something else, right? You know, those gifts are kind of left aside after the first half hour. You know, after all that, I wonder, you know, Christmas can feel kind of rather like an empty climax. I don't, I don't know whether you've ever had that experience. It's build up to Christmas. Christmas comes and then it goes. And it feels a bit like an empty climax. Well, over the past few weeks, if, if you've been with us over the past few weeks, we've been uh, hearing from the prophet Isaiah about the coming of a servant king, uh, a king like no other this world has ever seen. Christmas celebrates the coming of this promised king. His arrival is the culmination, the climax of more than 1,000 years of hoping, waiting, and watching. You know, my boys are waiting for a few weeks to open presents. The coming of Jesus is the culmination of more than 1,000 years of waiting, hoping, and watching. Now, we, we would expect the coming of this king to be greeted with pure joy. But surprisingly, this isn't the case. The coming of Jesus is, yeah, there is happiness, but there is also indifference. And in fact, there is even outright opposition to the coming of this king. You know, some go, in our passage today, some go to great lengths to pay homage to this king, but others go to great lengths to actually get rid of him. You know, if, if you read this passage, the, the coming of Jesus, the coming of this servant king, feels a lot like an anticlimax. Which is the surprising thing about this passage. You know, the, the coming of the king divides people. You know, some worship him, others reject him. Uh, we see the false worship of the false king here in this passage, but we also see the true worship of the true king. And as we listen to God's word, you know, I, I pray that each one of us is asking ourselves this question, you know, where do we see ourselves in this story? You know, where do we see ourselves in this story? You know, on whose side are we on? Are we on the side of those who reject the king? You know, those for whom Christmas is a non-event? Or are we on the side of those who come and worship the true king? So let's first think about the false worship of a false king. Right? The first point in just two points in, in our time together this morning. Matthew tells us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And Herod was known as Herod the Great. He, he was called the Great because of his massive building projects. You know, he built many, many impressive buildings in, in uh, Jerusalem, including the temple. He was responsible for expanding the temple in Jerusalem. Herod was king of the Jews, even though he wasn't completely Jewish by birth. 
his father was not a Jew, but an Edomite, a descendant of Esau. Israel and Edom were rival nations, and there were many wars between them throughout their history. You know, but, but Herod, one thing about Herod was that he was, a, he was a very cunning politician. So even though the Jews didn't like him, he got into the good books of the Romans. You know, the Roman Empire was ruling Palestine at that time. So Herod was a, a cunning politician who, who knew how to curry favor with the Romans. And the Romans were happy with him, and so the Romans appointed Herod as king of the Jews. Herod loved power. He loved power. Uh, Herod loved the thought of being in control, being in charge. You know, he loved it so much that he was willing to sacrifice his family and friends to hold on to power. You know, he, was, he was known as a ruthless man. He, he had his uh, wife executed, uh, some sons also executed, also so that he could hold on to power. You know, I mean, the, the modern-day analogy to that is, you know, some, some people who spend all their time at the office and, and find it hard to be with their families at home. Why? Because in the office, they, they have a sense of power. You know, they have subordinates. So they spend lots of time in the office because they, left the, the, they love the sense of being in control. And in the family, not so much. <laughs> the wives don't listen to them or the husbands don't listen to them. Uh, the kids are kind of off doing their own thing. So, so the office is a good place, right? Control. So maybe that's the modern-day equivalent to Herod. Now to Herod, Jesus' birth isn't good news. You know, when, when he hears the news, he's, he's troubled about this child who is born king, who threatens to take away his kingdom. Now Herod had no right to be king of the Jews. You know, he was only king because the Romans said so. But according to the Old Testament, according to God's word, Israel's king would come from Israel itself. It would be a Jew. Israel's king would come from the tribe of Judah, a direct descendant of King David. So Herod knew that, you know, push comes to shove, Herod was a usurper. He had no right to be on the throne. So when Herod hears about Jesus' birth, he is more than a little worried. He's disturbed. You know, he, he's greatly shaken and agitated. Uh, his, his agitation, his turmoil is so great that all Jerusalem was troubled along with him. So it was very obvious that the king wasn't happy. So what does Herod do? As any wily politician would do, Herod begins to plan and to scheme. So he begins to scheme how he can protect his position and cling on to power. So he, he, he calls the wise men secretly to himself you know, to find out what time the star appeared. Now, assuming that the star first appeared when the child Jesus was born, you know, this would give Herod, a good sense of how old this child is, right? You know, it's sort of like Herod is trying to narrow down the identity of this child, you know, who this child is. Then he sends the wise men to search for the child. You know, he, he pretends to want to worship the child, but actually what Herod wants to do is to try to kill him. In fact, if you read on in, in Matthew chapter 2, what does Herod do later on? When he doesn't, when he doesn't find Jesus, he orders the indiscriminate killing of all the male children in Bethlehem born under the age of two. That's how ruthless and single-minded Herod is to cling on to power. Herod will do whatever it takes to remain as king, even if it means the senseless slaughter of innocence. He didn't welcome the, the coming of Jesus. Why? It's because Herod just couldn't give up 
being king. He loved being king, being in control more than anything else. You know, now, Herod is an extreme example of someone who rejected Jesus. You know, but, but before we get all self-righteous on Herod, and I wonder if we see some of Herod in ourselves. I wonder if we see some of Herod in ourselves. Oh yeah, we, we may not go to the extremes of killing children, but many of us actually want the same thing that Herod wanted. Like Herod, what do we want? Control. We desire control to be in charge, to be in charge of our own lives. So what do we do? We make plans, we make schemes, we make plans to do what we want, when we want it, in the way that we want it. You know, we do whatever it takes to make ourselves happy and comfortable. And you know, we, we don't often realize this about ourselves until someone or something threatens our sense of control. Uh, for me, it happens when I drive. I, I drive, and I like the sense of being in control, you know, not just of my car, but of my time, right? So when someone cuts in front of me, I get upset. You know, I get all indignant and self-righteous. Like, how can this person do this? Doesn't this person realize that I'm in a hurry? You know, how can he cut in front of me like that? You know, I'm, I'm not going too fast. Everyone else is going too slow, right? That's why I, that's why I say to my wife when she says I'm driving a bit fast, you know, we, we get upset with other people when they mess up our plans. You know, other people are slow, they're inefficient, they are uncooperative. They, they, why? Because they, they don't do what we want them to do. And, and when they upset our plans, we, we feel that our control is being threatened, being undermined. We get upset. Trials, you know, difficult times, trials like, like illnesses, Trials are especially revealing because what, what happens when you're ill? You know, I was ill for about a week, a couple of months ago, and, and I felt the loss of control. I didn't know when I would be well. I didn't know when I would get an appetite back. You know, I was just lying in bed. Trials like that can make us feel really troubled because we feel the loss of control. We, we feel that we're not quite in charge of our lives as we would like. And we, we're not sure if we ever get control again because of our trials. Now, one thing to be in control is, is not a bad thing in and of itself. You know, it's part of what makes us human. But the problem is that we want control without God. Our desire for control becomes a desire for autonomy to live our lives our way rather than God's way. And the Bible speaks very plainly about this. The Bible calls this rebellion. The, the Bible calls this sin, this desire for control without God. We leave God aside and get on with life. You know, we, we do things, we buy things, we go places, we make plans, we set goals, we enter into relationships, we choose jobs and schools. We do all that. We get on with life without thinking or considering God. And this is how we're really like Herod. Like Herod, we are all wannabe kings 
and wannabe queens who have turned our backs on our Creator God. We have usurped God's rightful rule over our lives. And the coming of Jesus, yeah, the, the coming of King Jesus threatens to undermine our autonomy. You know, He won't allow us to continue living for ourselves. Neither is Jesus content with merely uh, a bit of our lives, you know, like the church bit, the religion bit, or the spirituality bit. Now, King Jesus wants all of us, every single part of you, every single part of me. You know, he, he wants to rule as rightful king, king over every aspect of our lives. And I wonder for some of us, is, is this the reason why we keep Jesus at arm's length? You know, we know that if we acknowledge him as our king, then we must get off the throne. Because this throne ain't big enough for the both of us. So someone has to get off the throne. You know, but but why, will, why should we want King Jesus to rule over us if, if it means giving up control, if it means giving up being in charge? Let's think about our second point, the true worship of the true king. Who is Jesus? Now, before we give him control, you know, I think it's, it's reasonable to ask, so who is he? Why should we give up control to this king? Now, the birth of Jesus is an extraordinary event. You know, in the ancient world, it was understood that the birth of a special person would often be accompanied by the appearance of a special star. So it is with Jesus. We read in this account that a star appears to signal his birth. Now, this is no ordinary star. You know, stars don't move and stop over addresses. But this is what happens. The, the star appears, moves, and leads the wise men to the place where Jesus was and stops over the place where he is. You know, all this brings to mind this Old Testament verse in Numbers 24. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Jesus is called the Christ in verse 4. This means that he's the Messiah, God's anointed and chosen king. His birth fulfills God's promises. Now, some 700 years before this event, God said through Micah, the prophet, that his chosen king would be born in Bethlehem. And Jesus comes through the line of King David, and he's born in the same town as King David. So unlike Herod, this Jesus has the credentials to be the rightful king of Israel, descended from David, born in Bethlehem. And the coming of King Jesus tells us that God is faithful to His promises. We can trust Him. We can give ourselves to King Jesus because He is the embodiment of God's steadfast love and trustworthiness. Jesus is living proof that God is true to His Word. And, and this King invites us to trust Him with our lives, to be assured that He will never disappoint us to be assured that He is able to give us true rest, peace, and joy. And these verses tell us that King Jesus will shepherd His people. Now, the kings of Israel were supposed to be different from the kings of this world. The kings of this world use and abuse their authority for their own benefit, like the self-serving Herod. Now, the kings of this world are like your terrible boss. He doesn't use his position to help you, 
but he uses his position to kind of use you for his own benefit, right? Bad authority. Well, the kings of Israel were not meant to be bad bosses. The kings of Israel were meant to be good bosses. You ever had a good boss? Someone who truly cared about you, someone who cared about your career, someone who cared about your advancement and your good. But the kings of Israel were meant to be like that, like that good boss who nurtures, who builds up, who, who leads with good authority. But if you, read the, if you read the Old Testament, none of Israel's kings function like that. They all failed. And some of them failed uh, spectacularly. But Jesus is the true king. You know, Jesus is the true king who, who loves his own. He's the, he's the good shepherd who lovingly leads, protects, and provides for all who trust him, for all who believe in him. You know, I, I can say that even this past year, my family has seen the very loving guidance of this good king. Uh, he's led us here to be with you all, and we're so grateful for his leading, and he continues to lead and provide for us in, in ways beyond what we can think or imagine. And, and I think for some of you, you can say the same thing as well, that this king has been a faithful shepherd this past year. You know, he's been a faithful shepherd to us as a church. He's led us through times of goodness. He's led us through some tough times this year. He's led us through seasons of joy, as well as, as, well as seasons of sorrow, of mourning. This king shepherds us. And he's been a good king to us through all these ways. And we can enter 2018 with the confidence that this King will continue to guide us and walk with us each step of the way. And we can say these words as our own, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside still waters, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, King Jesus, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, Jesus is this kind of king. He's the good shepherd. Now, because they are looking for a king, where do the wise men go? Obviously, they go to Jerusalem, the, the capital city of Judea. You know, it makes perfect sense. You know, where else would you find a king but in the capital city, in a palace in Jerusalem? But surprise, surprise, when they go to Jerusalem, they don't find Jesus. Instead, they find Herod. Where's Jesus? He's born in Bethlehem, a, a small, insignificant city about eight kilometers south of Jerusalem. And where's Jesus born? You know, not, not, in a, not even in a nice house. He's born in a stable and after he's born, the, his parents lay him in a, in a manger. You know, what's a manger? Manger is a place where you feed animals. It's a place where you put feed so that the animals can eat. He's, born, he's, he's put in a manger of all places. And after he's born, he doesn't live in a fancy house in Bethlehem. He's, he lives in an ordinary house. And I think that's why the wise men needed to be led to his house because it's so inconspicuous. It's just not obvious that you find a king in that particular house. Now, all this shows the kind of king that Jesus is. He's the humble servant king who, who comes not to be served, but to serve, to serve his people. And he will give his life for the sake of his people. Now, our passage hints at the suffering that Jesus will have to endure. He'll face rejection and opposition from Herod and from a lot of other people. 
And the gift of myrrh, you know, one of the gifts that the wise men bring, myrrh. What was myrrh used for? Myrrh was used as a, it was an expensive perfume used to prepare bodies for burial. The two hints that this king will one day suffer. Herod selfishly sacrificed others to protect himself, to protect his kingship. King Jesus selflessly sacrifices himself to save others. Now, what's, what's even more amazing is that Jesus sacrificed himself not, not for the deserving, you know, not for good people, but, but Jesus sacrificed himself for wannabe kings and wannabe queens. Jesus sacrificed himself for rebels like us who have turned our backs on him, who would have nothing to do with him and want nothing to do with him in our lives. But in his boundless grace and love, God sent his beloved son to die for sinners. Jesus willingly came to die on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, taking God's judgment in the place of all who believe in him. Jesus died so that we might have life. He was treated like God's enemy so that we might have peace. Jesus came as a man of sorrows so that we can have true joy. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might be righteous in him. Now, this is the great exchange that Pastor Ian spoke about last week from Isaiah 53. Jesus was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And this king suffered and died, and he rose from the dead in victory, exalted as king, victorious over sin and death. Now, who came to worship King Jesus in this story? Who came to worship King Jesus? Not insiders, like the chief priests and scribes. And in fact, if you read the story, the, the chief priests and scribes should have been the most excited about Jesus coming. Yet they acted like they didn't care, with indifference. Oh, yeah, yes, they knew the right answers. You know, when Herod asked them, where would the king be born. They, they, they knew the right answers. Bethlehem of Judea, because so it says in the prophet, the right answer. But it was just a textbook knowledge of Jesus. You know, we, we don't read about any of the chief priests and scribes leaving to go to Bethlehem to worship this king. None of them do. Instead, it is the outsiders, the, the wise men from the east, who come to worship Jesus. How many wise men are there? No, actually, we're not told there are three. <laughs> Tradition says there are three because, you know, there are three gifts, frankincense, uh, myrrh, and what's the last one? Gold, that's right, three gifts. But actually, we're not told how many wise men are there. We, we, we don't know. And, and the wise men are not kings, but, but the word for them is uh, magi, magi. Interestingly enough, magi is the same word that's used to describe the sorcerers in Egypt during the time of Moses. You know, the, the, the sorcer you know if you know the Exodus story, they're the, they're the bad guys in the story, right? They're the bad guys who try to oppose Moses. 
in Egypt, the, the, the sorcerers, same word used to describe these three men who come from the east to worship Jesus. The Magi were astrologers. They dabbled in uh, astrology. They, they learned how to interpret signs and stars and dreams, and some of them practiced magic, right, magi. And they probably came, they, they came from the east, probably meaning uh, Babylon. So there were three magi from Babylon, of all places, who came to worship the king. And if, if, you, know, if you know the history of Israel, Babylon was not a good place. Babylon was the place of Israel's greatest enemy, the one that took Israel into exile, the one that was responsible for Israel's hardship. But these three magi came from Babylon. It's like a really bad neighborhood on the other side of town, right? That's where they came from, from Babylon. The religious leaders in Jerusalem wouldn't even travel eight kilometers to go to Jerusalem. Not even eight kilometers. They wouldn't even go from here to like Changi Airport. Too far, you know, not worth it. But the Magi from the east, where did they come from? From Babylon, which was what? Thousands and thousands of kilometers away from Jerusalem. That's how far they came to seek out the true king. And, you know, and, and what, did, what gifts do they bring? You know, frankincense, gold, myrrh. These were very, very costly. You know, like uh, several years' salary. Why? Because no gift was lavish enough for the worship of this king. No gift was good enough. What's the best that we can give? Frankincense, gold, myrrh, you know, but even these are not good enough. The, their, their lavish worship is extravagant. It's, it's over the top. Why? Because they know that they're here to worship the true king. They're, they're willing to go thousands and thousands of kilometers. Why? Because they know that they're here to worship someone who alone is worthy of worship. None of the religious leaders felt that way. Not one. Isn't it surprising? This is the surprising twist in Matthew's account of Jesus coming. Those who seem to be near the religious leaders, Herod, are the very ones who reject Jesus. Those who seem to be furthest away, far off, the wise men, the, the magi, the astrologers in Babylon, they are the ones who come and worship Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that shocking? You know, maybe some of you are a bit scandalized, right? Wow, how can, you know? It's like outsiders who, who dabble in magic. Should they come and worship the king? But yes, it's here in our story. That's a surprising thing in our story. You know, in, in modern day language, those who seem to be nearer, you know, regular churchgoers, people who see themselves as good, moral, righteous, religious people, the twist is that they are the very ones who reject Jesus. And the outsiders, who, who many of us, we have nothing to do with them because, you know, they're kind of like outside. Wrong side of the tracks. They're the ones who actually come and worship the true king. Now, do you, do you feel yourself far from God? Do you feel yourself far from from God. You know, maybe there's some things in our lives that we're ashamed of, some things that 
we, we are afraid that if, if other people found out, they, they wouldn't love us, they, they wouldn't think so highly about us anymore. Maybe you're wondering if God would ever receive someone like you. Right? Do you ever wonder that? Yeah, would God actually have me? Would God actually receive someone like me? After all I've done, after all I think in my mind, after all the things that I've chased after, would, would God actually receive someone like me? Now, maybe, maybe Christmas is the only time that you find yourself in church, you know, attending church, which is great, welcome. <laughs> but maybe this is the only time in the year that you find yourself here. You feel far off. The good news of Christmas is that King Jesus, this King, this Shepherd, King Jesus comes specifically to save those who are far off. He comes to save people like the Magi from Babylon. Now, if we think of ourselves as religious, if we think of ourselves as righteous or as good moral people, then why on earth would we need a saviour? But Jesus comes to show mercy to those who are far off. Jesus comes to show mercy to the broken, to the weak, to the weary, to those of us who are close to giving up. Jesus comes to show mercy to those of us who feel the, the guilt and shame in our lives, those of us who feel that we, we, we shouldn't even be here. No, Jesus comes to show mercy to those of us who, who only dare stand a long way off and, and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus is the good shepherd who comes to seek and to save the lost, to gather in the lost sheep. He comes to find us. And, 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 and this king, King Jesus, he, he invites us now. He invites us to draw near to him. Why? Because he's already traveled all that distance to seek us out. He didn't just come thousands of kilometers. He came from the glories of heaven to find us, people like us. And He invites us now to, to give our lives over to Him, to worship Him as our King. Now, earlier in the service, we had the, the joy of witnessing the baptism of seven individuals who have given their lives to worship this King. Now, why did they do it? Why did they give their lives to King Jesus? No, it's not because there's anything special in them, but rather they, they gave their lives to King Jesus because He is special, because He's the true King. He is filled with love and gentleness and compassion. He comes to bring those who are far off near to Himself. He's the true King who's full of grace and mercy. And this King this King alone is worthy of our most extravagant adoration and worship. We don't just bring gifts, we offer ourselves to this true King. And this King promises us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. This King will never let us down. He is the true King. And by knowing and following Him, we will rejoice together with these three magi. We will rejoice with exceedingly great joy because we know this true King. 
You know, this Christmas doesn't have to be an anticlimax for you again. You know, this Christmas doesn't have to come and go and leave you feeling somewhat kind of jaded and disappointed. This Christmas can be the time when we come to know this true King. We offer ourselves to Him. We find in Him true life and true joy. I invite you now, come, come, come and worship this true King. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you. Father, our, our words fail us as we think about your goodness and your grace. How, how can we give you and your Son the worship that you deserve? Our, our gifts are paltry and uh, insignificant. Even the gift of our lives is not enough. You are amazingly generous in your grace and mercy. So, Father, we know that we are far from you in, in various ways. And, Father, as we come, we, we thank you for King Jesus. We thank you that he has come. He hasn't waited for us to come to him, but he has come first to seek us out. And, Father, we pray that you would draw us near. Draw us near to you through your Son. Thank you for his grace. Thank you for his compassion. We thank you for the good news of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all rise as we respond. Indeed, let us come and worship and adore Him. Sing together. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and
seated just for a moment. While you're being seated, I want to invite all of those who were baptized to come and stand here with me. I just come and stand right here, uh, or else I'm just going to stand here and be awkward. Where, where are you? All of those who are baptized, including uh, two brothers who are joining us by transfer of uh, membership, Zixuan and Dietrich. Oh, kind of turn around and face people. Um, I want them to look at you, and I want them to be able to see you. And by the way, as they are coming, let me just say a word of thanksgiving to those of you who are parents and who brought your children into the service. Uh, next Sunday, we will have child care, and I know it was more difficult for you this Sunday to have your children here, but let me just say there is nothing more spectacularly appropriate than hearing a baby cry on Christmas Eve. So thank you for helping us celebrate Christmas together. Now, now GBCers, uh, thank you, those of you who are visiting with us, to just give us a bit of family time right now. Um, I, I want to say a word to our church, our church family. Uh, because when we invite people into membership, uh, they go through a lot of scrutiny. They write out their story, but um, you all didn't write out your story, and they're trusting that we're not weirdos. Here's what I want to say. Every one of these who have come to join the GBC family, they, they don't come accidentally. They, they come because a sovereign God knows that we as a church are not everything he desires us to be without these standing right here. They, they come here by God's invitation. GBC, that means we are stewards of some of God's best treasure right here, standing in front of you. So, GBC, I, I'm going to ask you something, and, and in a moment I'm going to invite you to respond if you agree by saying amen like you mean it. I mean, I know this is not an American church. Canada, I have to encourage people to, you know, speak in public. But I want to ask you now, if, if you would say to these standing here who are entrusting their lives to us as a church, would you as a church be committed to providing a safe environment for them to grow in their faith and to exercise their spiritual gifts. Would, would you as a church say, we will take seriously our stewardship of your lives as unto the Lord? If you would say, we celebrate that God has brought you to us, would you say amen loud enough that they can hear you? Amen. See, that's good. I want to pray for them, and then uh, let me just remind you, a meal will be served on level two, which if you're thinking like I do, you've probably observed level two, the breeze blows right through. It's cooler. <laughs> level three is closer, but warmer. Just a bit of a word to the wise. Let me pray for all of us. Father God, thank you that you are a God who comes for those who are far away. That, that you make many nations one family. We thank you that the birth of Christ, though it was a grief for you, was joy for him. Who even on the cross thought this is a good thing for me to do this so that many might know the righteousness of God.
we benefit from that Christmas sacrifice. So I pray just as you give at Christmas, give us giving hearts. Help us to be stewards of everything you have blessed us with. And for these who stand before your church, rise up and be glorified in them. And fix in us a determination to love them as you desire them to be loved. Give them practice at loving an imperfect people like us. And grow us together in the fullness of Jesus Christ. And now because you are able to keep all of us from falling, because you will one day present us without fault and with great joy, because you're the only begotten, full of grace and mercy, to you, O oh God, be honor and glory, power and majesty from this day forever. Amen. God bless you. Please join us for our meal immediately afterwards. Let's have a time of quiet meditation. And then I want to invite you, before you go downstairs, GBCers, will you come and welcome these into the family? You're dismissed. Well, apparently a, a photo. who doesn't pay attention there's going to be a short program at level three then everyone's eating at level two thank you